And I'm, and my wife is listening to this, you know, and she's like, we can't get him to flush the toilet. Why are you letting him do this? It's so true. And because it matters it's to so him, true. right? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here on You Think, presented by Audiorama and our friends at Body Armor. Um, a lot going on. Full fall schedule is in effect. I know we've talked to you guys the last couple of weeks. Um, we got a little soccer. We got a baseball. We got a lot of football, tackle football. I'll tell you, I, I wasn't sure what to expect going into my fir- you know, first season coaching tackle football with my oldest son. And, you know, we started the season. We lost game one. We were still, you know, had a lot of kids who had never really played before. But I'll tell you, these last four or five weeks, the progress that these kids have made the work that they've put in, it's been as fun a sports season thus far as we've had. And and that's been really cool um, for a bunch of kids who've never played before, um, you know, young, you know, a lot of them are only 10. It, it's been it's been a really cool season thus far. So we got one more regular season game this upcoming Saturday. Hopefully this storm coming to the East Coast doesn't rain us out. Um, and then next week, first week of October starts the playoffs. So we are interested to see what that's all about. We've never done that before, and uh, but we're rolling right now. We we had a huge win this past weekend uh, against another undefeated team who was really good, had some really big, good athletes, but uh, we were able to to squeak it out. Um, kids are buying in, parents are buying in. It's been it's been a good it's been a good experience thus far. So I'll keep you as the playoffs kind of approach. I'll keep you guys updated on how we're doing. Um, but yeah, all all is good in the. In the Olsen House of Sports, it's ups and downs, but we're uh, we're enjoying it. Today's guest is Bruce Feldman. Uh, Bruce is a New York Times bestselling author. He's covered college football for over two decades. He's now the National College Football Insider for The Athletic, and he's also a sideline reporter for Fox uh, with their college football programs and, and slate of games. So a colleague of mine, uh, Bruce, was able to join us not only to talk college football, kind of the landscape, um, where he sees the NCAA, you know, evolving college football playoffs, some of the upsets we've seen thus far early, but also he joined us um, as a dad. Uh, he wrote a really cool piece that came across, um, you know, my desk, God, probably a month or so ago about his experience coaching his kids flag football team. And he wrote a whole piece in the athletic about just what an experience it was and what he learned and how it was the best season of his life. So I, I, I called him up and I said, Hey, you know, I, we'd love to have you come on and talk college football and, you know, NIL and the expansion of the college playoffs, but I'd also love you to just come on as a dad and just talk about, you know, youth sports and the the journey you're on with your kids, um, similar to me and similar to a lot of you that are out there listening. So Bruce was awesome. This was a great conversation, a mix of personal, but also a mix of little update on the college football landscape, obviously, as the fall is kind of revving up here into, you know, pretty deep now into the calendar and the fall slate. So great conversation. Thank you as always to our sponsor, Body Armor. Body Armor not only fuels this show, but they also fuel all of our youth sports teams that we work with. Um, There's a lot of choices for the sideline sports drinks, but my favorite, my kid's favorite, you know, when we go to gas stations or we go to the grocery store, they always ask, mom, dad, can we make sure you guys pick up some Body Armor? Um, We love the orange mango. We love the strawberry banana. Um, we always have, it, it's a staple in our house. It's a staple in our youth sports um, craziness. Uh, Body Armor is made with coconut water, B vitamins, no artificial sweeteners. And you can go to drinkbodyarmor.com for more information. So now please enjoy this conversation with Bruce Feldman. Bruce, thank you uh, so much for joining us here on You Think. Thanks for having me. Big fan of uh, big fan of your show on here. It's been a great resource for me. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you. So I, I've followed you for years on on Twitter, and you know I've read your articles. You know the articles that have pertained to you know schools that I like or follow or interesting stories and changing NCAA landscapes. You know all the the big hot button stories that you follow so closely now in in, in your current position. But the story that I came across that caused me to actually. DM you and 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 share and and share on Twitter was when you meant you wrote a whole piece about the experience you had coaching your your son's um, football team and just the experience that it was like and and what a life changing um, experience that it was and and that was really the inspiration for having you on here today. So before we jump into that though, there is one I, there is a college football story that I came across this week that you also wrote that we're going to touch on first and 
it blew my mind. Right. I mean, we, I, I want to talk to you about coaching young kids and the innocence of young sports, but the current landscape of college football has gotten so crazy. And you wrote, you wrote an article you shared on Twitter that, that I actually reshared because I couldn't believe it. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of T.A. Cunningham. He was a Georgia top prospect defensive lineman family. His dad sends him out. His dad's name is Big Rev, sends him to California thinking he's going to get NIL deals. He's now ineligible. The agent he signed with has been arrested. Like, I need to talk to you about this story because it seems like out of, it seems out of a movie. It does. And honestly, so, so much has changed. There's always been kind of under the table payments of, of top recruits, but what's different now is because of NIL and it coming into, into reality, basically in the last, you know, 14, 15 months. And I think a lot of us, myself included, think it's a really good thing, but because of it, it's because the laws, depending on which state, California is much more open in terms of, you know, high school players have a lot more resources available to them than in, in his case, in TA's case, in the state of Georgia, he is a high school recruit. Who's actually a junior. Um, so he's in the 2024 class. It was a five-star kid. Georgia first offered him when he was a freshman. I mean, this, this kid has been on a lot of schools radars and I use the term kid. He just turned 17, um, but still really young. And so, you know, in this, story, what you have is a lot of people, unless you follow recruiting very closely, you probably don't, aren't familiar with some of the names who are in the middle of this space. Mike Caspino, who's an attorney out here in Southern California, who did a deal, a huge deal, um, well into the millions for a quarterback here, high school quarterback in Southern California, who's eventually going to go to Tennessee. But because of that, you know, he hoped that was setting the market. And to be truthful, over that time since that deal happened, it's really been kind of an outlier. But there's been other deals that have been done. And in this case, Big Rev, according to the text messages uh, that he had sent. And this is his attorney, by the way, uh, who did this deal and who is now suing the CIF, which is basically, you know, the board that oversees uh, high school sports in the state of California. It's a crazy story. And the kid and his younger brother, TK, who's a big eighth grader, they are out here in Southern California and they found they're living with a distant relative, but they've been in limbo for a lot for a couple of months now. And he is ineligible. And it's just a story that it's the first one that's gone into uh, the courts, but expect a lot more because there's just so much murkiness into this, like the margins around the NIL space now. And as you mentioned, for anyone, and we did an NIL um, episode here uh, weeks back. And I think for anyone who doesn't follow it closely, they don't truly understand. It is a state by state process, right? The states, the, the schools in the state of California, the schools in the state of Texas versus Florida, Georgia, all these different powerhouse high school football, um, you know, destinations they are all operating under different rules. There was the famous case of, of Quinn yours. Now the starting quarterback at Texas who actually reclassed to leave his high school early in the state of Texas. Cause he was not able to collect the, the, the courts in Texas said, we are not going to allow our high school athletes to participate in NIL. He actually reclassed enrolled early in Ohio state ended up leaving and coming back. Now he's at the university of Texas. Um, so, I mean, we've seen this play out and because of the different landscapes in the different States, it creates situations like this. But I, I guess my question, my next question is as, as usual, the adults are what ruin it, right? This, these were, these were rules. These were new policies put into place where the NCAA said, I'm stepping back. I want nothing to do with it. You States handle it. And it was the idea behind it was to help the kids. It was to help the student athletes. It was to help them create some money off the usage of their, their name, their image and their likeness and allow them to participate in the revenues that were being made off their back. But as usual, the system gets taken advantage of by adults looking to make a quick buck. In this case, there's a parent involved. There's an agent involved. There's the California athletic association, but at the core of it, there's a young kid, a 17 year old kid who now loses his junior year in high school. So like, how do we manage this current climate and keep in mind that it's the kids who were trying to benefit. And now in this case, not only is he not benefiting his junior year of his high school experience has been taken away from him. Yeah. I, I think the tricky part is I talked to, to uh, him probably it was like three days before he turned 17. It was also, you know, a couple of days before 
the CIF had denied his appeal. They thought he was optimistic. He and his high school coach were optimistic that he was going to get cleared. Um, You know, he is a bright kid. He has over 3.0 GPA, um, very well-spoken, enjoyed talking to him. When you talk to college coaches who have, you know, met with him, the one thing they'll say is he's very, very naive and doesn't really know what's going on around him. And, And and what the, I think what they mean by that is what this whole murky process is that's going on around him. Now, look, I mean, you, you know, I know your dad was a really successful big time high school coach in New Jersey, but like th- put yourself in his shoes of being 17 years old, not a co- you know, he, he, by the way, he's now in his third school. He went to a different school in Georgia as a freshman, a different one as a sophomore. And then now he's at Los Al in Southern California. So this kid has been, you know, kind of traveled around. But like, why would he be able to, you know, of course he's going to be naive because a lot of this stuff, you know, unless you've been like really versed into how this process is and studying, you know, all this other stuff, you know, you probably would be in the dark. I mean, it's hard to be worldly in this space just because, as you said, it comes out of a movie, but it's a, but it's a lot of things that I think are, are to put on a kid's plate. And again, the last line of the story is, you know, people forget because he's so massive that he is just a kid. I and mean, he's almost 6'7", 275 pounds. But at the end of the day, we're talking about a high school junior. I don't know how many kids at that age in high school, whether they're great athletes or not, even if they, you know, even if he had a background where his dad was a high school coach and, you know, he grew up in it. Um, I still find it hard to believe that they that he would have the wherewithal, no matter how good of a student he is, to kind of comprehend everything that is going on around him. Yeah, a couple of months back, we had Malachi Nelson, the one of the top quarterbacks in next year's class, so the class of 2024. Same class of his, is. by the way, same yeah, high school it, team. Exactly. So we had Malachi and his father, and it, hearing you just described and reading the article the other day, and then now having you on and kind of describe it, just talking to Malachi and his father, they've been really educated in it. They have attorney, they have, you know, he has really strong parents and a family who really understands, you know, these are the opportunities that we want to take and, and, and allow for our son. But there's also some opportunities we're going to shy away from to make sure we always keep it about ball. We always keep it about what's in the best interest of Malachi. And I came away from that conversation, just really impressed by how that family was handling this changing landscape of NIL now at the high school level, living in California and understandably. So taking advantage of it, but at the same time, not letting it ruin his high school experience. So now we see the complete other side of the coin where families who might be to your point, they're not as well equipped. They're not as educated in the process. And they think in a move as such as just moving to California, it opens up all these doors. And then now in reality, the doors have been closed in his face. Is there an opportunity that, that this kid, that TA will get his junior year back is the hope that at the very least he'll have his senior year. Like what is, what's the best case scenario now at this thing comes to a close. The best case scenario is at some point the CIF looks at it and says, Hey, you know what? This is no fault of the kids. We're going to clear him. I don't, that feels like an uphill battle. Uh, because a lot of the information that his attorney put out seems to be contradictory to the case that it wasn't for NIL purposes, it wasn't for athletic purposes, right? And so, you know, I, I've had a bunch of people say, well, why doesn't he just move back to Georgia? You know, and it's uh, a lot of the toothpaste is out of the tube here. You know, I hope for his sake that you know, the people I've talked to around Los Al, I feel like do have his best interest at heart. I hope he can get on the field um, just because, you know, for him to, he's able to practice him to go to school. But again, you know, the scholarships aren't going to go away, right? He's the scholarship offers, like he's going to have opportunity, but you just would like the kid to have as much sense of normalcy as he can, you know, in this. And, And, you know, I feel for him and, um, you know, hopefully that he will get cleared. And if he doesn't, hopefully I'll end up in a place where, where some of this entanglement will go away. Cause you wonder if he was at a private school, would this have been the hurdle for him? And, you know, there's plenty of, you know, modern day St. John Bosco, there's plenty of really big time Southern California private schools. You know, would he have been in this kind of situation if it, if it had gone that route, as opposed to this? I don't know. It depends on who you talk to, because there's a lot of people who feel like, how this has been handled has been very political in in nature as well. Yeah. I I just, I just hope at the end of the day, the search for the quick buck 
from the father, from the agents, from the entire team of adults around him kind of driving, you know, and you mentioned the colleges think he's naive. He should be naive. He's a 16, 17 year old kid who just wants to play high school football and the adults around him see him as a paycheck. They see him as an opportunity to make a quick buck and they uproot his life from everything he knows. And I just hope when the story comes out, unfortunately, we've seen so many of these stories and I hope this is the exception to the rule, but it just, it just seems, as you said, an uphill battle to get things back on track that not only does he have a great college, high school experience, that he does get an opportunity to go to one of these great schools and just get his career back on track and, and have an opportunity to make something of the opportunity. That's my hope. I know that's your hope, but uh, I, I was fascinated reading that article uh, when it came out a couple of days ago, because it's just, it's the dark side of what people are, are hesitant that this, that we're creating now with these new policies and guidelines. So we'll see how it plays out. But now for the real point of this conversation. So I reached out to you on, um, on Twitter, God, probably a month or two ago. And I came across and I felt like when I was reading your article, you were like speaking for me, right? Coaching your kids, the anxiety, laying up at night, stressing over plays and playtime and, you know, trying to get your kids ready. I, I always joke, like the hardest part of coaching young kids is you take all of their success and failures personally right? When, when they fail, you're, you feel like you failed them and you let them down. Like, at least that's how I approach it. So take me back into that. Like, was that your, that I know that was your first time really coaching your kid's team in a full-time capacity, just for, for our viewer, just give everyone, bring them up to speed on just what influenced you to write that article and why that experience made such an impact on you. Well, first of all, I, like I've written tons of stories, as you said, for years, this is the most personal thing I've ever written. Right. And, um, it was it was just a kind of a wild experience and very surreal for me because I did not want to, to be a head coach just because there was a lot of responsibilities and time that that factored into it, um, a lot of logistical stuff that I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to I don't want to deal with this, and I my son was going to be on somebody else's team, and then we got a note from the the commissioner of the league saying we need two more coaches or else we're going to have to cut twenty players from the program. And so I was like, all right, I have the time. It's, it's the off season. I mean, spring football, I can do this. So I did, uh, went through the draft process, which was a little bizarre or very bizarre, um, came out of that and kind of wait, hold on, stop. I don't want to, I don't want to interrupt, interrupt you, but tell me I'm coaching my kids, uh, pop Warner team right now. There was no draft. We just got like whoever was on our roster. So tell me about the draft. Like, are you really evaluating these kids and trying to like, do a true draft? Like, what was that? So I wasn't, um, I wasn't at the combine. So what we got was basically a spreadsheet with, I guess it was about 80 <laughs> names and it lists height, weight, uh, their 30 yard dash time, how far they could throw a football in yards. Right. And so, That's amazing. and now I'm how old are these kids? These kids are seven and eight. Okay. And just, I just so, want to paint the picture for our viewer here. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy picture. Let's be honest. So I go into this I draft and I don't know any of these kids. We're playing we're playing in a different league, which is like 20, 20 minutes from where we live. So I maybe I know like four of the names. I mean, I don't know the kids, but I know a couple of names. And then the one kid I did know in the league because our son does karate with him. He was on the team he was initially going to be on. And so I go through this list and I basically forward the spreadsheet to a, a, a parent buddy of mine whose son is a really good baseball player and knows, recognize some other kids that his son played baseball with. And he said, you know, I don't know if these kids are going to be good football players, but I know they're good, really good baseball players. So I put those kids on my list as well. We sit down for the draft and there's another dad in there and he basically rattles off like each kid has a number. It's like 102, 105. He rattles off. He takes all the good baseball players. I was like, okay, so now my list of, you know, my scouting list goes from like 13 to three. I end up with one kid on my list who I'd remembered from our other league. I didn't know him, but I knew he was a good player. And then the rest of it was just a, you know, who, do, who looks like they're fast and big. And so my first round pick was a kid who was like the third heaviest kid in the league and maybe the seventh or eighth fastest. And then they were like, well, he's got a, he's got a brother. You got to take him. I'm like, okay, he's a twin. Now he ran considerably slower, but I'm like, all right. So now I got two. And then it kind of went from there as I'm driving home. I'm sitting there thinking about it. My son did not go through the combine process, but I know he's a, a shorter kid, but he's, he's, uh, he's pretty fast. So I'm thinking, well, this kid that my first round pick ran about the same time as my son is about the same height, but is 40 pounds heavier. How's the, I don't know about this. Maybe I'm getting some bad information. And um, 
So it was like, maybe I got a Dontari Poe here. I don't know. The, f- <laughs> the first day of practice, my, you know, the two brothers come out and I realize they're not twins. The, my first round pick is actually a kindergartner, but his older brother's with us. I think it was a typo on the 40 to on the 30 yard dash time. Um, you know, cause oh, when we God. ran, it was like, okay. So after the first practice, I came back thinking, my, I just hope we're, we're in bad shape. My son's running circles around a lot of these kids. And I hope that our team's not so bad that he comes away, not loving football anymore because he loves it. And I just don't, I've heard from parents, the experience with football, especially if they have a really bad experience with coaching or with a team, it can really, uh, kind of unplug them and just feel like they don't love it as much, you know? And, and that worried me because it's, he loves this sport more than, you know, he's the kid who watches film and is obsessed with it. So, you know, like we went through it. I ended up reaching out to a, to a dad who I knew here, whose son had just, they had just moved here. I knew he was a pretty good athlete. We were able to add him to the team. So I knew, I felt like we had like three players of the, you know, that we had. And then from that point on, it really became a case of, okay, what am I going to do? Like, what do I feel like I need to, to hammer home as we start to do this thing? And to me, the biggest things were just from having seen youth football and some of the kids is we're going to rep the heck out of just a couple plays because I want them to get good at that. I don't want the kids standing around. I want to teach that, you know, I want to talk to them a lot about spacing. I'm not worried about, hey, we're going to win. We're going to lose. I just the thing I kept on saying is I just want us to be the most improved team. And I kind of stressed that. And as you know, from, I'm I'm curious from, you know, from your own experience, not just with your background, but coaching youth football, like I'm trying to kidify, as I would put it, some certain play concepts that I think might give people problems. What I was just trying to do is how are we going to get kids open in space? What can we do? And from there, we just practiced a lot. You know, it was like, I was lucky. Our kids, we did not have kids who goofed around and we did not have parents who, you know, in, in my son's first team, a couple, like two years ago, some of the parents, I think, wore on the head coach and it became, he was trying to please 13 parents and he didn't please any of them. And I felt for him because he's, he's a really nice guy and he just got kind of pushed in a different direction. I became like, I was going to say no to certain things. I was like, hey, we're not going to have you play quarterback, but I promise I'm, we're going to give you, you know, you're going to get to touch the ball. And I promise, you know, it's this. And that became like the focus. And I was lucky because like I said, we had really good families and the kids, you know, just bought in and we didn't waste time and it, it was fun. And we got a little momentum and I thought we were going to lose every game. And then we won the first game in spite of my coaching. And all of a sudden <laughs> then it just kind of built. It, it's so funny to hear you say that because the first order of business, in my opinion, of being a, a good youth coach is there's a big difference between knowing your sport and knowing your sport at the youth level, right? Like, um, for example, I used to coach my kids' baseball team a lot and I don't have a great baseball background. I don't have, I never played it at a high level. I mean, I, I know it enough to be dangerous for the kids in middle school and whatnot, nothing beyond that. But I really learned and studied youth baseball, right? What, okay, maybe the major leagues do their cuts like this, but maybe for 10 year olds, it works a little better like this or base running, you know, so you kind of morph and modify the game to the age group that you're coaching. So right now, um, my dad, myself and Luke Keekley and a couple other dads here in town are coaching my son's 11 U tackle football team. So we got like 23, 24 kids. So we got a decent amount of kids and you got to play them all and all that. So we have all these great ideas, right? Like, you know, we know the best fronts. We know what gives teams troubles. But like you said, the, 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 the key to the operation is it doesn't matter what we know. It's what can we get the kids to know? And that to me is the joy of the youth sports experience. It's the countless hours, the time sitting on the couch last night. We're watching the Monday night game last night. My wife's like, what are you doing? I was watching film off of a cell phone of the team we're going to play this weekend and charting all their fronts so that we make sure tonight at practice, we know what fronts to practice blocking against. Like now when we go to practice, we can give the kids the tools to succeed. So like to hear you say that. And again, when I read the article, it brought back so many like memories of doing this because I don't know if people realize the amount of time youth coaches 
spend away from practice, making sure that their time at practice is maximized? The part that gets me is I can't tell you how many bad nights of sleep I've gotten or frustration of something that whether it worked or not, like we in our other league, they do film it. When I, we got to this league, they weren't going to do it. And so I asked um, the, my assistant coach, I said, do you have a, do you have like a camcorder? He, we were filming games and for two reasons. One, it's great when like a kid who maybe doesn't do, you know, like any kid right, actually on our team, they, the family will have those videos of their highlights forever. Um, the other thing was, and this was big, you know, my son loved to watch film and we would sit there and I would say, why do you think this worked or whatever? We've had a game in our summer season. We ended up playing the team basically kind of played again in the summer. And there was a team we played. And to be honest, sometimes if you don't know the other kids, some, a lot of the kids kind of look the same to an adult, yeah. you know, sometimes. Yeah. And so I, so there was a kid who was maybe the fastest kid on one of these other teams. It was a pretty good team we played in the playoffs. And he was like, that's so-and-so. And he goes, well, when they line him up at center, they leak him out. I said, good. All right. I didn't know that was him, but now, and you'd see it, whether it was and like, now all of a sudden he's got like a, an investment in this, right? We're talking about, all right, so do you want to call something when so-and-so is in there at center? Cause you know what they're going to do. They're either going to leak him out to the left or they'll leak him out to the right you know, where they're, and so we talked about it and he was like, you know, gave him words. He was like, I'll call bandit. And if they do this, and I was like, and I'm, and my wife is listening to this, you know, and she's like, we can't get him to flush the toilet. Why are you letting him do this? It's so true. And because it matters it's to so him, right? True. The stuff that we cannot like our son. So I, this is in the story. We just, we monkeyed around with the slow mesh, which Wake Forest runs. And the reason why I thought it might work is if you can give little kids on the other team some confusion, some hesitation where, you know, it's almost like they're at times, you know, we're playing on a high school field with other games. Sometimes when there's a whistle from the other game, the other kids kind of, everybody kind of pauses or throws them just that hesitation. So I was like, the slow mesh might work here. So we, we did it the first game and it worked for a long touchdown because it just was like, what is going on? The kids were hesitant. We gave it to one of our kids. And then, um, we talked about it. Like I had watched, um, there was a, it was a backup quarterback who played in the NFL for a while, who did like a 14 minute breakdown at all 22 of, he didn't know why they read it the way they did, but there was a lot of stuff and a lot of good video of it. So my son and I watched it a bunch of times and we didn't, you know, I know Dave Clawson. I, at one point I had told him, Hey, we're running slow mesh. And he laughed his head off. And it was like, basically we had we had two things off it. It was the the original. And then we would have a read where my son would read um, basically the right cornerback and see if, you know, we would run it. I feel like I'm giving away the story, but who cares at this point? We would run it to like one kid, then we run it to like another kid. And then probably the kid, the team, the other team worried about the most, who was our best receiver. We'd line him up back there and you almost, he was never getting the ball and he was the decoy. The other cornerback would flush in and my son would, as soon as he saw him coming, he would fire it out. And she was like, and I was like, yeah, it's a, it's a post-snap read for him. She's like, we don't get, we, he's not using, we can't get him to use utensils at the table. Don't do these things. And the <laughs> thing was, you know, like what I found, and this is something you, you touched on a minute ago, the kids, when I would, I, we would have play cards and when I would say, Hey, we're going to run slow mesh most of the kids would get really excited because it became yeah. part of their identity. They would get yeah. fired up about it. We had a leech play, which is like an air raid staple, 92. It's a pick play. Like, you know, when it's going on, you know, it, when it's happening in, you know, full speed, as you know, like there's stuff you don't maybe miss or whatever. When I watch the film back, I'm like, oh my God, like one of our kids did it exactly where they're supposed to like slap hands as they're coming through at that point. Yeah. And I was like, these kids are doing like this one kid. He was one of the, one of the brothers we had, it was mostly our center, but I was like, he's a really smart kid. And his attention to detail was really good. And it was, so it was awesome to see how these kids were like, we improved so much from it because they really bought in and they were seeing good results. Yeah. I just wanted to let everyone know slow mesh is like what you see. North Carolina does it. Wake Forest. You mentioned Dave Clawson is like an RPO. It's like a long, long ride into the line of scrimmage where you could end up handing it 
but then it also can be used as like an RPO where you'd pull it and you'd throw. And it's, it's a pretty interesting, um, kind of scheme that a handful of college teams use. So I just want everyone to realize like you guys in seven year, eight year old, um, football flag football are now doing slow mesh and you mentioned air raid. So it's just, it's just really cool to hear people just to hear you talk about how important this was and how much ownership your kid took, because at the end of the day, it's fun to win. The kids have fun. But at the end of the day, the experience that you get to have with your child, in this case, your son, like these are the things you can't ever go back and do. So I want to talk a little bit about your approach as the parent, right? So that was your approach as the coach. You obviously took it seriously. You, you wanted to prepare the kids to have success and spent a lot of time. But oftentimes the challenge of coaching your own child, and I go through this on a daily basis, we spend six nights a week at the fields and it's hard, right? There's the balance of, I want everyone to know that I'm going to coach my kid the hardest and he's not just playing quarterback because he's my kid. So you almost end up swinging the pendulum a little bit to the other end where you're like overly critical of him to, so everyone knows you're not babying your kid, but then you also sit there and you're like, man, I feel kind of bad. I was maybe a little too hard on my kid. So like, what was your approach? And I know they're young, but like, what was your approach to coaching your kid? Like, how did you manage the role as dad and coach? Yeah. Uh, so I noticed a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was, maybe it was two months ago, you had uh, Dr. Michael Gervais on and I know him from, you know, he's a Pete Carroll. Uh, he loves him. Tons of Olympic athletes have worked with him as a sports psychologist. And I'd been around him a lot through elite 11. And he talked about that very thing about being supportive and challenging and that balance. And so with my own son, like there are certain things where it's like, I know, um, you know, you're demanding at times in practice and certain things where it's like, okay, look, we're going to show you certain things that you didn't realize you're doing, even just like your body language, right? Like you're not, your knees aren't bent. You're doing things like, but, but there's an interesting, like your, I feel like you're talking yourself off the ledge sometimes. So um, I don't think like he plays some quarterback in the red zone and at times and different things. Like we had other kids who I, I felt like had strong, maybe stronger arms. And he was, a, he was actually a, you know, probably our best running back. And so like, I don't, I'm not, I have no illusions of he's going to be a high school football star, anything. He loves football. Now he's a pretty good little player. That's great. That's where we're at. Um, but you know, he's been around a bunch of, you know, like he's been around a bunch of, because of where I work and who, you know, where we live, I, you know, he's been around, he's been exposed to some, some high level football people at times. And so when he's throwing, you know, the one thing, you know, I will say to him in practice is, Hey, front side closed. And just so his front arm is here when it's really, as opposed to like, he's swinging through and he's, you know, his, his mechanics are a little off and he's really good at practice, but when games happen and he's being rushed or he's chasing the front side is flying open. I mean, it, it just is. And I saw that and I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep my mouth shut to him because he's making the right decisions. He's going the right places with the ball. Like, you know, in our league where it's basically almost like seven on seven, you know, yep. he may get to his third read, which is nuts to say for, you know, but he's only being rushed by one guy or, you know, so, but I didn't want to say, I didn't want to harp on him thinking, that much through like he's doing the right things if he can if he can fix that or address that at some point great but like i don't want to wear him out on on some of these things right you know like there's certain things that i said to him going into after the season i was like here we have three goals for you and you know like there's we would harp on this as a defense you know no you know you got to be deeper than the deepest because and i don't know how much you know you, you see this you know where you're at but like with us in this league, the kids who are most concerned about the, the kid who's across from them pre-snap, and maybe that kid, you know, goes in motion, maybe that kid just runs a hitch, but where where we would get in trouble at times is it would be the deep over coming behind somebody where you're just thinking on the kid who's in front of you. Like, no, you got to understand what's, you know, and our best players would get sucked in. You know, they just yep. would let, get, you know, maybe the teams, usually the teams didn't complete it. But it was like, hey, you got to get, you know, you got to have more awareness. And we would say it over and over and show them on film. And so I don't want to say that stuff's like non-negotiable. We're still talking about, you know, eight, eight-year-olds, right? So, 
Um, I know it was challenging. I know it was challenging. Like the, the man who coached with me, like he's in the military and his son's an awesome kid and a really good player. And I think you could tell we were both hardest on our kids at practice, maybe not so much in games, but at practice. Right. And, um, probably harder than we probably should be, you know, but like at one point late in this season, I remember my son at once said in the car ride back and our car rides were I don't want to say they're the best part of this, but there were 25 minutes where we just talk, right? And it's like, we have twins where our daughter, you know, my son is a twin and his sister. It's like, you know, sometimes you're mixing time, right? When you have multiple kids, it's not just the always one-on-one. And so we'd be in the car and he said, you know, daddy, it was like their first touchdown was actually my fault. I should have been over there. I was like, oh my God, where did that come from? You know, like, um, and that's usually not him. Like he's not the Mr. Accountability. Like, He's the guy who didn't flush the toilet. He's the guy, you know, like there's like 19 things in this house that he will blame on his sister or somebody else <laughs> or me or whatever. But I was like, okay, he's, you know, doing that. But it's it's hard because you want to like impart stuff on them, but you have to have like almost like an outside ear on what you're doing, you know? And and like, I'd, I'd ask you this because you've been around a lot of youth sports on, on baseball as well. Like I've seen where like the coaches if you're a, if you're a coach and you're super wound up, um, and stressed, and maybe you're on the refs or maybe you're, you know, it's the kids feel that it's, I don't think it's helping them. It's just hard not to be that way, but I think it's like, the kids are going to feel that. And maybe when they get older, they respond better to it than they do when they're really young. But I was like, I really try to be mindful of like, even if I got frustrated with something, I was like, don't, you know, just, you know, keep my mouth shut or just kind of turn my head just because, they're kids and they're not going to respond well. If you, yeah. if you, kind it's of hard, right. And, and it goes, it goes both ways. It's hard. Right. And especially as they keep getting older, our, our football team now is fifth and sixth graders. So they're a little bit older, right? These, some of these kids have turned 12. Um, it's an 11 U league, but in the fall, a lot of these kids are turning 12. So they're a little bit older, a little bit, you know, more mature, I guess none of these kids are overly mature. At least mine aren't, but I also, by the way, segue, I have nine year old boy, girl twins as well. So I get it. I totally get the dynamic. But anyway, so, you know, there's a there's a fine balance that I've found between, yes, you're right, the, the kids, the environment the kids operate in goes a long way into how they feel and to how they approach the game and how they approach practice. And that's on the adults. There's also what I found is the more accustomed you can get your kids, I mean, not your own kids, the kids on your team you're coaching, to be able to operate in chaos operate when things are tense, when things are loud, when things are pressure packed, the more they're used to operating in those environments, when game day comes and whether you can control your own sideline or your own dugout or your own bench, but you can't enjoy, you can't control the gym. You can't control the other parents. You can't control the bleachers, the stands, the umpires, the refs, the more the kids get used to operating when things are going on around them and they up and they're used to it the better they get at just continuing on the mission at hand and letting that other stuff just be noise. So that would be the one to in one thing back. Like I've been on teams or I've seen teams where everything had to be very controlled and every practice had to be very calm. We didn't want the kids to be overstretched, but then we'd get into a game and we would try to just control ours, but we couldn't control what the other dugout was doing, or we couldn't control how loud the other parents were. And then all of a sudden our kids found themselves like overwhelmed because we always tried to create this like very, you know, insulated, very controlled, calm environment. But that's unfortunately, as they keep getting older, that's going to be very few and far between, you know, so it's a fine line, but it's something that I found has benefited our kids where when the game got hard, our kids were better. When the game got loud and chaotic, the kids got better because that was how we practiced. That was the environment which we put them in a lot. And I'm not talking when they were six. But now as middle school kids getting ready next year to try out for their middle school football team and there's cuts and there's no playtime rules anymore. And if you don't play well, you sit on the bench and it becomes a little more real. I think there's an element to preparing the kids for that. um, That does them a good, you know, that does them a good bit when they uh, get ready for school ball, which to me is why we're all doing this, right? Just, I want my kid to make his middle school team and have a great experience. And then after that, we'll worry about high school. And then whatever happens, happens. So that's that's kind of our approach. But um, but I'll tell you, it is hard. It it gets very stressful. We've been trying to teach our kids right and left 
for three months and we still call play to the right and they want to go left. So I'm with you. It's, it's very stressful. It's, it's interesting because we had a game late in the season. You're talking about the distractions. And so the way our, our high school stadium was set up, the, the families would be on just one end zone. And I never thought about like, you know, we would always defer, but I would never think about like, do we want to, where do we want to, like in retrospect, after I found out what I saw, like one game, I was like, yeah, maybe we don't want to defend in like that end zone in the second half. I'd rather, you know, because what I found is we played a team that had won the league championship the year before and they were a good team and they'd been together and we had a, a decent size lead in the second half and, and we threw a couple of picks and we ended up losing. And, but when we, uh, it was our last regular season game and the kids, some of the kids got, I could, you could tell they got rattled because they could hear the, the other families. They weren't trying to rattle our kids. They were just really excited for their kids, which is awesome, you know? Right. But our kids definitely were, were, you know, like they were mindful of that. Right. And, um, and they were hard on themselves after the game. And especially like our, you know, my assistant coach's son, who's, who's really good, but he was hard on himself. And, you know, it's interesting to see what motivates different kids, like how, you know, you're trying to push buttons and, you know, are you, you know, like, you don't know how kids, each kid responds to, to not success. Right. And so, you know, I was worried about my son, who's like a really competitive kid and sometimes in a in an irrational way. And, you know, like our, like I would say our three best players, they handled it differently. The, the first loss and my son, and I'm not, you know, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, but like in the car ride back and he had one of his teammates over the, that afternoon, he was fine. Like it was like, and I don't know if part of it was, Hey, I scored two long touchdowns. I did my part kind of thing, which was like, eh, I don't know if that's, you know, the greatest, you know, way, whereas the other kids were really wearing it. Cause we, was our first loss. But what was neat was we played that team in the championship and our kids really, like they all played their best game. And so what I took from that was like, Hey, if we lose a game, this is going to be a good experience for you guys, because we are definitely going to get better. We're going to learn from this. And those kids did. Um, and I think they did on their, I think they really did as much on their own, figuring it out as much as anything I could have said, or, or, you know, the, you know, their parents could have said, and I think, you know, at the end of the day, like the fact that, you know, like adversity to an eight-year-old um, was losing that game is, is, is a big, maybe is a big deal. Now it's a, not a big deal to a few of the kids on the team, but it's a big deal to a couple of the kids on the team and to see how they respond to it. And like, let's get better at this. And let's like, that's way beyond football for them. And I think that's the part that I was like, you know, there's so much more here, just like we're talking about, like this experience connects you as parents. Like you're, you don't have to have a son who plays football. It could be a daughter who plays baseball or softball or basketball or soccer, whatever. Like it's how you connect to them. Like, and I, I really, um, it's just the thing that kind of connects us as people and how they grow from it, I think is really, you know, is a really interesting thing to share with people. And that's what the whole youth sports experience is about, at least in, again, in my, in my view. And that was a big reason why we started this show, because this is the world I grew up in. This is the world. This is the only world I've known. And I've done a lot of the things wrong. I've had a lot of questions. I've had a lot of nights, like you said, where I laid in bed and reconsidered, you know, things we did or how we ran practice or why, I, why I feel like the kids have kind of plateaued and we're not keeping, you know, not getting better. Development is at the core of every team that we run. It's how do we get from the start of the season when you give me your kid to at the end of the season, when I give them back to you, how much progress were they able to make? And then collectively as a team, we're the sum of those improvements. And along the way, if we focus on that, we're going to win a lot. Winning to me is a byproduct. Winning to me at the youth level is a byproduct of doing things the right way. We don't set out to win. We set out to do everything the right way, maximize every kid's abilities, push them beyond maybe where they even thought they could go. And if you do that every single day, you will win. And that's the way I try to describe it to our families. And along the way, you might think we're too hard on your kid or we're asking them to do things that are outside of their capabilities. But oftentimes, I've always found this, oftentimes it's the adults who set the boundaries for kids. It's the adults who say, he can't do this. He can't do this. This is too hard. This is too long. This is too many hours. 
And if you ask the kids, are you doing okay? Yeah, this is great. Why? Right. And, and, and you almost as an adult to remind yourself, like their kids, they can do way more than we give them credit for it. So that to hear you say that is very in line with kind of our approach. So the last question that I'm going to leave you with, um, again, thank you, Bruce, uh, Bruce Feldman for joining us today to not only share your perspective on just the sports landscape that you've covered for two decades, but also your personal journey, which you were so cool to write about, um, for the, um, for the athletics. So the last, the last question I have for you is as other parents out there are listening and maybe they're coaching their daughter's softball team or they're coaching their son's travel baseball or soccer team or whatever it is, like tell what message do you have for them about a lot of those parents out there that say, I don't want to coach my kid. I don't want to be involved. I want to keep that parent relationship. Like what would be your, your message you would leave them with as they kind of hear you talk about your journey, coaching your kid for the first time. If you can do it, if you have the time, do it because, you know, I, I feel fortunate. My son, like I said, he's obsessed with football. Um, so these conversations, he's really into it. He like, daddy is the film up, that kind of stuff. He's, you know, that's not quite normal, but it's the it's shared experience you have, but it's also the connection you make with these other families, right? Like, I feel like this, you know, we had this team, some version of this team, you know, back-to-back seasons now you know, I'm going to feel a connection to them and, you know, way beyond, you know, you know, these kids don't go to school with my son, but I still feel like a connection to those families because of it. And I think the most important thing is like, and I heard this from, I think this was Tim Pernetti on your podcast uh, a while back where, you know, I've known Tim, you know, back in his Rutgers days where he talked about the communication, just be listening. Right. Um, and like, I think it's, it's tricky. Cause I know when I'm not the head coach and I'm like, I can't be a head coach right now. Like I, I'm busy in college football season. So, you know, I can go to my son's games and that's the extent of it. And you're seeing stuff and you may be like, mm, you know, there's certain things you would do differently or you wonder how well prepared they are or whatever. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you just can really can only control with, with what's best for your kid, but you're, you know, you can't catch them every time they're going to fall And I think the thing is, you know, like, hey, we're going to do the best we can, you know, certainly, you know, when, when you're talking about you and Luke, I mean, the tech, the technique expertise that you have is obviously insane compared to like what the, the average dad is or mom is going to bring to it, but like find what kind of works for you. And the, to me, the biggest thing is, Hey, let's just get better because you can't control, um, you know, if there's some, some team out there that is just absolutely loaded um, you know, you're probably going to lose if your team isn't similarly talented. Um, but the best you can do is like, Hey, what do we, what do we want to get good at? What do we want to teach these kids about this, the game? Like, I mean, I can't tell you how much we talked about like spacing with, you know, especially as like, cause it's like almost seven on seven football and different concepts, but what all you, all I feel like beyond this, all you want to do is have the kids on your team want to keep playing right? They, you want them to keep playing. And as long as you can do that, whether you win champion, you know, win your league championship or you go 500 or you don't win at all, um, just like make sure they have a good experience because, um, you know, and it's different. I get it when you, you know, you're getting up, you know, you're 12 years old. I think it's getting closer to like more of a, you know, formal process, but I mean, just it's really keep it in the relationships and for the kids who can handle what they can handle and keep it simple for them, right? We had we had a girl on our team who didn't really know she was she'd never played before. We basically had her focus on one thing. She became our designated rusher. And by the end of our season, she was like the Von Miller of the league. She just <laughs> like would focus. I she's a good athlete. She would get confused when we would drop her into coverage. Um that that was a little harder for her. So like, Hey, let's just focus on this one yeah. thing. She Find got what you're good really, at and do it. Yeah. And it, we kept That's it life. simple. Like I know, I know certain parents would be like, Hey, do you talk to them about like there's four, you know, like a lot of football stuff. I'm like, no, I'm not telling some of the kids about certain things in football that I'm sure will confuse them. I'm only talking to the kids about like what I think they can handle and keeping it as simple and let them just go play and have fun and, and take pride in what they're doing. Totally. Be- it's a life lesson, right? Find something you're good at, find something you like and do it. Whether it's rushing the passer and flag football or whatever it is, that's, I think that's a very, uh, a very good way to end it here. Cause I think that's the message. Well, I, Bruce, I, I can't thank you enough for 
sharing that personal story. I know it's one you've, you've written about. We've wanted to have you on the show now here to talk about it for some time. So I appreciate you taking, uh, taking some time out of your day and we hope to have you back here and hopefully you guys win the championship again next year. Hopefully, uh, I look forward to uh, look forward to your next all your shows because it's really I think it's a great resource for all of us as parents who are in this space just to kind of you can get something from it, especially when you know because of your background. I think sometimes people take for granted, oh, this guy was a you know all pro and played in the NFL and and this and that, and to see and hear kind of the challenges is 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 uh, it's something that gives you a really good perspective. I think on it. I'm going to go write a practice plan now for, we got a big game that we play a really good team. We play one of those loaded teams this weekend. So we, uh, we got to have a good practice tonight. So I'm off to write a practice plan, get the kids from school and get to practice. So thanks Bruce. I really appreciate your time. Uh, Thanks Greg. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Bruce just to then be able to just connect dad to dad and just hear, you know, how, just incredible his experience coaching his son's football team was and, you know, the ups and the downs and the struggles of laying in bed at night trying to figure out how to get, you know, these kids to improve. And I can totally relate to that. So when I when I read that story that he wrote in The Athletic, um, it, it picked up a lot of buzz and, and I was one of and I was one of them and immediately reached out and said, hey, this conversation, this article you wrote is so in line with what we're doing on You Think. And uh, he was kind enough to join us. And also kind of be a little bit of our uh, college football insider. So it was a great conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it, talking about college football. I know I've said this before. My producer, Tasha Babers, her dad is the head football coach at Syracuse. I texted her late, what was that, Friday night when Syracuse had that big win over Virginia. So I'm going to welcome in the 4-0 Syracuse That's right. 4-0. We can't say that. Yeah, we can't say that very often. So this is a great week. Enjoy it while you can. Is your dad yeah. just fired up or what? Yeah, he's fired up. And we have, you know, Wagner this weekend. So we have a chance to be 5-0, and which I think is the first time since, I don't know, I think it was like the 60s or something. Someone checked me there, but it's exciting. It's exciting to be Syracuse Orange. Um, also exciting is. is we got there- more fan questions for you, Greg. Um, the first Let's one says... What traits, mindsets, or phrases would you recommend that young athletes model? You know, I think, wow, that's a good question. And, you know, I think it, it reminds me of our conversations with Dr. Drew Bay, but, you know, the ones that I always try to instill in my own children, you know, my own children, my teams, is I want to see kids who are going to go out there and compete, right? I think if you can, if you can sum all of this up into, you know, what are we trying to teach our kids? It's, it's not so much the end outcome. It's not, are you the best player? Are you the fastest kid? Do you score the most touchdowns? Do you hit the most home runs? Are you the kid when things get hard, when the game's not going your way, maybe you've struck out, maybe you've had a, you know, you threw an interception, maybe whatever the case may be, can you dig down and fight through adversity? Can you learn to control your emotions? You're upset, you're frustrated, you're all these things. Can you channel all that, block it out? And say, all right, I'm going to go out there and the harder it gets, the harder I'm going to dig down and compete. I'm going to focus on my, I'm going to focus on what I've been coached to do. I'm going to focus on what my team needs from me in this given moment. And I'm going to push aside all of the, you know, the negative that has happened to me, you know, throughout the course of this game or practice or season. To me, that's what I want to see out of my own kids. I want to see that out of the kids that I coach. We will teach them. We will fix the mistakes. There are always going to be mistakes. And we say this to our our tackle football team all the time. We will make mistakes today and we will make mistakes in the final game of the season. Nothing will ever be perfect. Nothing will ever be exactly how we drew it up. But if you are motivated to, again, just every day come in and try to improve and try to do things the way you're coached to do. And when it gets hard, you're at your best. If we can continue to build that mindset and that approach Everything else is easy. You know, we'll teach you how to catch. We'll teach you how to block. We'll teach you footwork. We'll teach you how to field the ground ball. Like to me, that's the easy part of youth sports. I think coaching mindset, coaching competitiveness, coaching the ability to fight through adversity. To me, those are the early lessons that we want to build this all on because once you get that, the sky's the limit. Yeah. Going off of that, this question is kind of similar. The next audience question says, I feel like work ethic is different than back in the day. So how do you instill good work ethic in the teams that you coach? You know, I think work ethic is really connected to habits. You know, I think routine, building good habits, you know, and this is something we harp on a lot. Everything you do 
you're either building good habits or bad habits. So if you're going to be out there and it could be something as simple as playing catch, it could be something as simple as, you know, taking batting cage swings off a tee, whatever it is, everything you do, you're either building good or bad habits. And, and we have the saying with our team is how you do some things is how you do everything. So if you think you're going to be able to go out there and get in the cage or have a catch in warmups or you know whatever it is, do a walkthrough in football. If you think you can do that subpar and you can do that not to your best, but don't worry, coach, when it's the game, when it's the bottom of the sixth or when it's the fourth quarter and my team needs me at my best, I'll be at my best. It doesn't work like that. So the idea of working hard is great, but just working is not so much as important as what are you working on and what is the mindset you're working in? If the mindset you're working in is everything I do is one more opportunity to train my brain, to train my body, to build good habits, that's one is one more increased opportunity than the bad habits creeping in when you don't want them. And that to me is the hardest thing to get across to young kids is they think that they have this ability where, okay, this drill is less important than that drill. This game is less important than this game, this practice. And they think they can turn it on, turn it off, turn it on, turn it off. So the thing we harp on the most is every time we're out here, whether it's an individual lesson, whether it's a team practice, or whether it's the championship game at the biggest tournament of the year, we have to always have the switch on. Every throw, every catch, every at-bat every walkthrough rep, every whatever it is, has to be game-like, championship-like, because that's how your body builds good habits. That's how you build the routine and, and the mindset that that's the only way my body knows. It's the only way my brain knows. Now, when the game gets hard, I can rely on those good habits. I can re- I know I've built this series of, of you know, performances that allow me now to go out there and expect success. And it doesn't mean you're always going to have success but it gives you a lot better chance of having success than if you just continue to try to gauge your intent, gauge your effort based on what you think the circumstances are in the moment. So that's, that's a hard battle for everyone, let alone, you know, for adults, let alone kids. But I think it's super important. That's good. And then the last one's kind of a interesting question. Uh, he says, lots of people have said, I'm harder on my kid when I coach him because I don't want anyone to say that I was favoring him. Is it possible that being too hard on my kid for fear of what people say is selfish and not keeping the best interest of my kid first because I'm basing how I coach on what people are saying about me and I'm a little bit self-conscious about that? I'll tell you, that's an impressive question. Whoever whoever put this in, that's some really good self-awareness. That's some really good you know, ability to kind of reflect and be honest with yourself. And I think he's he or her is 100% accurate on this. That's something that I wrestle with all the time. I've talked, I've been very open and honest about that. Sometimes you're so conscious about not being seen as daddy ball or mommy ball. You're so conscious about not about other parents not saying, well, his kid only gets these opportunities because of the dad and this, that you do coach your kid harder. You do expect more out of your kid and you do push them. But then there are times where you're so unjustly You're so unfair to your own kid that now you're putting your own kid in a situation where they can't succeed. And at the end of the day, that's definitely not what you want. So I think that's a really, really good observation. And it's a really hard balance. You know, coaching your kid is hard. Coaching your kid is not easy. It's a big part of, you know, the conversations we've had here, Um, not only with Dr. Gervais, but countless coaches and, and parents. It's, it's a challenge. I do think there's also that idea of adults worrying about what other adults think of them. I think especially if you have friends on the team or other families that you're close with and you're coaching their kids, you know, you don't want anything to get in the way of that relationship. There's a lot that goes on. Mm. And I think for whoever submitted this question, that is real. I guess what I try to remind myself of is I'm going to coach all the kids the same. I'm going to be hard on my kid because if I'm going to be hard on your kid, I need to be hard on my kid. But I got to make sure I don't go overboard. And at times I have. At times I've I've taken it too far and, I, and I've got to be better at that. But I think you have to coach your kids still and not punish them because they're your kid. And they still deserve the opportunities and they still deserve the, the, the space and the environment that they can flourish and they can succeed. And they can't, you know, have that held against them because their dad happens to be the coach. So there, it's a delicate balance. Um, the fact that this person recognizes it is the first step. And um 
I just always try to check in and say, all right, am I, am I, am I doing this right? And oftentimes I say no, sometimes I say yes. And the times I say no, I got to, you know, kind of adjust midstream. But, um, but I, this is a super, really, really good question. There's a lot of layers to it. And I think that's going to be a question when we have Dr. Gervais on that we're going to, we're going to bring up to him. Yeah, that's a great one for him. Well, that's all the fan questions we have for today. Keep submitting them at Greg Olson or at Youth Inc. on Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter. Well, thank you, Tasha. Appreciate you. Go Orange. Let's go. Tell your pops we said keep it rolling this week. And uh, thank you guys all so much for listening here on Youth Inc. Uh, Please continue to rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your pods. And we look forward to seeing you guys next week.